Hi, and welcome to This Property Life, a property podcast from a community of ordinary people doing extraordinary things in property. My name is Caroline Clayton. I'm a property investor and a trainer and coach and mentor. And this week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Ben Green, who, after having a background in corporate life, decided to build a portfolio with his wife, Malaika, in vitalettes and HMOs. But after a number of years of dealing with tenants and maintenance and letting agents decided, mm, maybe he wanted a change in direction. And he stumbled across a fantastic strategy, which is now driving his passion to give back to the community and help people who desperately need it. So Ben is going to talk to us today about his assisted living, supported living strategy and how he buys for demand and deals with care partners, housing associations, local councils to house people who desperately need extra support in our community. It's a fantastic episode and I know you're going to love it. Hey Ben, brilliant to see you again. Hi Caroline, nice to see you. It's been a long time. I know that lockdown and family life and everything has meant that we haven't had a chat or a catch up for a while. So I'm really looking forward to today's episodes and I know our listeners are in for a treat. Um, so you give us a little bit of background on what you did pre-property. Pre-property, uh, pre-property you know, a former life. What was um, it all about? Vaguely remember, yeah. We did, um, did a basic corporate, the corporate ladder. Um, did a lot around corporate sponsorship, events, um, marketing, conferences, all that angle. Worked a lot across different sectors. Pensions and investments is one of them, um, which kind of will circle back to the full circle later. Um, Food, beverage, marketing, supply chain. So, yeah, worked worked abroad, lived in Spain for a good number of years, which was great. Um, Left the UK 2002 with a bag and came back with a – a wife to be in a, a Lauren Oda stuff back to the UK just in 2009. So that was an interesting time. Yes. Spent about 18 months working for a US law firm, suing banks. Uh, that was interesting. Um, yeah. Again, working a lot with pension funds. And then 2010, uh, we started on our property expedition. Um, like a lot of people went and got educated. Um, we were living in London at the time, realised we couldn't afford to live in London, um, ended up in the northeast of England, buying at the time what seemed like very cheap houses um, for £40,000, £50,000, buy yeah. to let. We went all the way through to HMOs, uh, mixed-use developments, commercial to resi. We did that up until 2018, 2019. So, uh, yeah, we've been in the game and it is a game I guess isn't it for yeah yeah, 12 years 12 and a half years and still in it (laughs) there's no way out out once you're in right no we we try and get out and actually um I guess what we're talking about today was the result of us we we sold a lot of our portfolio uh end of 2019 because I think we'd fallen out of love with property letting agents bad tenants utility bills council tax bills planning so we got out a lot of our original stock um, and then accidentally fell into uh, the strategy that we're going to talk about today. Brilliant. All right. So um, a little bit on you as a person. What was your initial motivation to get into property? Because a lot of people were like, yeah, I just want to make money. But, you know, what was really behind it for you? 
Yeah, no, the, the inc- it was the income was the, one of the obvious attractions. But I think having worked very hard, still work hard, but for different reasons, it was the control um, of what you do with that time. Um, and travel, we, we, we love to travel. Um, so I think for, for us, it was to, to access a different lifestyle, to access more time yeah. and more, 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 more control about what we're doing with that day in, day out. So yes, money, income is, I, I find it difficult to believe that that's not in the top four or five motivating factors, um, for everyone, but also it was to, um, to do something of our own, to build something of our own and yes family um the dynamic has changed so we've now got a legacy to think about passing down as well yeah beautiful all right so you've touched on um the fact that 2019 you liquidated all of it all of it no a fair chunk of it a lot of the hmos a lot of the hmos went um they were great when you're scaling up they really boost the income but as we all know what comes with HMOs are letting agents, endless phone calls, endless problems, um, tenancy challenges. Um, I think you know, one, of, one of the best ones we'd ever renovated. I think the second day someone had flooded the, flooded the bathroom. Oh. And you just start to think, we didn't get into this to be babysitting. And I think like a lot of investors, we've had our challenges with letting agents, with trades people and, it all just came to a head and you, you you lose the spark, don't you, that you went in, went into the sector with, you know, eight, nine years previously. We were just like, we spent a lot of time babysitting the babysitter, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it served its purpose. Yeah. It did what it needed to do for the time. And then maybe, you know, attitudes change, appetites change, all of that comes full circle. Yeah. So when you liquidated that, you must have had a plan on what you were going to do with that cash or you know what what the next step was going to be or did you <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to say there was a really well thought out plan now obviously we, we we discussed it but i think the the move into specialized supported living happened with that portfolio so we ended up selling to an investment fund okay. um so this is where we first got exposure to the strategy so we were obviously going showing our properties to the investor but also this group of people that were going to be using the properties for uh, victims of domestic violence, actually. So, you know, you get talking to them, what do you do? How does it work? Oh, yeah, we're actually a housing association and we do long leases. This sounds interesting. So we kind of got our first exposure to supported living when we were selling the portfolio. And then that really stepped up uh, another level, probably six months later, I lived down in Kent, as you know, um, and the house opposite us um, was on the market. We tried to buy it because we know it's a good investment and we wanted to control our neighbourhood. Um, <laughs> failed miserably. But um, what was interesting, again, what we, we've all been taught, you know, be a bit nosy. We went across the road and spoke to the builders who are putting in an LD1 fire system, which seemed very strange for what would have been a residential property. Yeah. No, no, we're going to be housing vulnerable adults. There's a housing association going to be taking the, the property. I went onto land registry, found an investment fund had purchased the, the, the house. Okay. A considerable larger amount than it was on the market for, which got my interest. Again, my background, as I've explained, we 
exposed to the pension and investment industry. So I picked up the phone to the investment fund, spoke to them, understood the specialised supported living model a little bit, um, understood their demand was huge and predominantly in the Midlands and the north of England where we'd been investing. The Housing Association knocked on the door to apologise for the mess and a lot of the neighbours have been complaining. I think I said, come and have a cup of tea. Yeah. So we've all been all been taught have a have a conversation and just literally sat them down in the kitchen and um tried to understand the business model about how they work with a care company how they work with the local authority and how they as the housing association put a long lease around the building that's essentially fully repaired and insured so very hands-off in theory so that was our introduction to, to the sector pretty much by accident Right. So from that little bit of a taste of knowledge, yeah. what was your next step from there? Sure. Follow the money. So the first uh, the first step was to go to go into London yeah. to meet with uh, a number of the investment funds that are predominantly purchasing the, the, the properties to un- and work it backwards. So we're working out what they pay, why they pay it, what components are needed. Um, which housing associations or RPs, as they're called, regulated providers, which RPs are the good ones. I, it, it's no different to having a commercial tenant. So, and, and the sector's changed a lot in the three years, which we can touch on, but we're looking for that, you know, anchor tenant style, looking for a Starbucks or a Costa equivalent, with, but within the supported living space. We, people get very excited about, oh, they're going to give me a 25-year lease. Yeah, but if they've not been operating for more than 18 months, is it really worth worth it? And the answer normally is no. So the key is to find the strong covenants, the, the good leases that the investment funds would buy. So then we went and spoke to the housing associations. Then we spoke to the care companies because we're very different to a Sears uh, or a Mears model, or sorry, uh, a Serco or a Mears model, where there are two separate companies involved. I think there's been a lot in the press about the intensive management. There's been some organisations which will do everything. Um, they look after the property yeah. and they are meant to provide support for the individuals. But it's important to understand that the the people that live in our houses are you know, individuals with learning disabilities, mental health problems, maybe a diagnosis of autism. So they need ongoing support. So I think we need to be very clear on what we are doing and what we're not doing because as always the press has picked up on the bad part of it but there's a lot of good to be done in the sector so we spent a lot of time learning the jigsaw and the sector is a jigsaw so I think it's your exit which could be an investment fund it could be a refinance your housing association partner the good ones the bad ones the strong covenants then it's the care partners Um, we need to understand their challenges, the staff that are needed to, to give these individuals 24-7 support. And then there's the probably the most complex element, which is the local authority and the NHS element. Wow. So we are, taking, we are taking people directly. That are, We've all seen the, um, the stories in the press. There's people being locked at a hospital ward that don't need to be there. Yeah. There's a lack of provision. Probably about 50% of the individuals trying to leave hospital can't leave hospital because there's no suitable accommodation for them so 
we learn how to talk to commissioning teams within local authorities. We learn how to talk to care providers because as a property person, all you want to talk about is the bricks and mortar. Yeah. It comes last. It really comes last. So I think there was a huge amount of education, mistakes, new acronyms, new terminology that we had to pick up. And as I said, one day you're talking to an investment fund. Yeah. The next day you're talking to a social worker. The following day you're talking to a local authority commissioner with an NHS connection. No two days are the same. And, you know, it's that's what we're trying to piece together is this specialised supported living scheme, if you like. And then put the property in play to make sure it meets all of those requirements. So a lot of plates, there's a lot of juggling. My head hurts from explaining it. Just to clarify, you couldn't be bothered with letting agents and tenants. So what yes. you did was you yes. just put like 17 was. different bodies and tried to pull them all together. And, and we laugh about it now, but the payoff is that the front end work is pretty intensive. But the goal if you remember why we sold up and why we were getting, why we were losing the motivation was to get that time back. Yeah. What we've actually built are leases, which are maybe 10 to 15 years in length. Yeah. Either on a day to day repairing lease or a fully repaired and insuring lease. That's it. Yeah. So we've had an example. We did a, a four, four bed shared house up in the Northeast and we've literally in 12 months had one phone call. From the housing association yeah. we have we, we've not seen the utility bill because we're not responsible for it we've yeah. not seen a council tax bill so yes there is a huge amount of work which we underestimated at the start um but really the payoff is what we ultimately wanted which is the time but and also the income so the income is fixed we've yeah. got leases which are index linked so obviously you know we've everyone's been talking about inflation so a lot of the leases moving forward are now capped, but we have had leases which have gone up in line with inflation. So yeah. over the last 12 months, again, there has been a positive to that perceived negative. Yeah. OK, right. So I want I know that my listeners are going to be chomping at the bit. Some of the terminology that you might have oh, used yeah. for some of the elements, they're not going to understand because they will oh. never maybe heard of it before. So. I think the best way that I would definitely understand and benefit from this is give us an example, maybe either your first deal or one of your favorite deals, yeah. how it came to you, how you pieced it together, and what okay. was the result at the end. That would be sexy. Sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll base some, um, well, let's, let's do a simple four bed house share. So, <coughs> excuse me, everything's demand led. So we went to the local authority commissioner and we'd spent six months building a relationship. Right. So we understand their demand. So we've got a local authority that have got over 150 adults with learning disabilities and autism that need to be housed yesterday. Yeah. In a variety of properties, be it self-contained, shared, bungalows, etc. So we've gone out and we've gone back to our old network, our old property network, and we've looked, started to look at what we think are suitable properties. At the same time, we've started to reach out to care providers so this is the element that is purely being uh people focused they will typically be regulated by cqc the quality care commission right yeah um sorry the care quality commission uh, another acronym to throw in right yeah. so we've got a care partner so we learn about them we learn about the challenges that the people they look after um have 
and also yeah. how important the right environment is. So we've got the local authority, we've got the care company. So the local authority funds no. the care company to look after these people in right. the process. So the money, if you follow the money, comes ultimately from the Department of Work and Pensions, central government, yeah. into local authority housing benefit. Got it. Right. Now the local authority commissioner has got relationships with all the hospitals and other people in the area that need housing, that commissioner needs to support that property. They need to sign off on that property. Do not speculate, learn and get that relationship up front. So this property that we found, the commissioner and the care company walked around with us, inspected out, we've made some adaptations um, and therefore we know in principle it's fit for purpose. Right. And that's when you put the offer in. That's when you secure it. Yes. Okay. Got it. Now, the next plate to spin is your housing association. Okay. Why um, do we need them? Why do we need them? That's our letting agent. That's our hands off element, right? <laughs> There's a couple of reasons we, need, we want a housing association, Caroline. One is you have to have a housing association, a regulated provider, to claim the exempt rent. So we are not capped LHA rate. Okay, good. It doesn't mean we, you know, push the envelope and ask for the most ridiculous levels of rent, but because we're making specific adaptations to the house mm-hmm. and because our tenants are ultimately vulnerable adults, yep. we can claim exempt rent. Now, again, there's been a lot in the press of how this has been exploited. But again, the reason we have a separate housing association, a separate care partner, is to make sure that our tenants are looked after And that, by the way, the tenants are funded. Their care package is completely separate. We are not involved in that. Got it. Our housing association partner will have a service level agreement with the care partner. That's between them. Our housing association is ultimately our tenant. So we have to complete the property to their standards. And they, in return, will give us a lease. Okay. Around about 10 years. Okay, right. So That's this is where my confusion come in because we've done, we've we've got social housing, what I would class yes. as social housing in my portfolio, and I'm just direct with either the local government, and then I have others that are direct with the housing association, and it's just different councils operating yes. differently, right? But you're bringing in local authority care providers, and then uh, yes. the housing association. Okay, yeah. got it. All right. Okay. It's yeah, so those three come together to basically run and fill your asset. Correct. Then once that's in place, and of course, because we're in more of a commercially minded place now, because you've got that lease that's 10 years, 15 years, whatever. Yes. Um, the funding behind this, how do you structure that from purchase to refinance or to liquidation? Sure, no, great question. So we fund it front end, again, through private investors, bridging, development finance, all the traditional routes that okay. we had done for 10 years. Now, the interesting component of this is it goes back to what we were talking about, about the strength of the covenant, the strength yeah. of the lease that you're getting. So we have a panel of lenders that understand that there is an institutional exit. So there is a market in principle for these types of properties. But... Wow. We don't want to sell everything because we want to rebuild our income. So yeah. we have a limited number of lenders as the whole 
This is one of the big challenges. Yeah. We've got lenders. Yeah. But more importantly, we have valuers that will give us a compressed yield valuation. Okay. We'll take the core rent yeah. and we'll get a multiplier on that. Right. Now, for a HMO, you take off what, 20, 25%? Yeah. Nothing gets retracted because wow. it's guaranteed rent. Okay. But we've got a very stable, should we say, back end. Yeah. Um, because we understand the yield valuations that we'll get if we're refinancing. Yeah. I mean, look, the first one we got, the mortgage was sub 4%. It was brilliant. You know, we're probably up at between seven, seven and a half at the moment. Okay. But again, the good thing is we, we, we still cash flow up at 9%. So while, you know, we're not overly worried about the increasing interest rates, we're always going to pay a bit more because it's commercial lending. Yeah. But, so that's enabled us to refinance out the original money and hold. And remember, we've got no other bills apart from the cost of that lending and buildings insurance. Everything yeah. else is taken away from us because of the profile of the individuals we're looking after yeah. and because of the housing association that we have in the middle. Oh, and do you know what? I just, I love my social housing stock because it's got that feel good factor to it on helping people that under normal circumstances, if you didn't provide them with a home, they'd be sitting on a waiting list or in your, in your case here, it's gone to the absolute extreme. They might be stuck in some kind of hospital ward or whatever. So talk me through how, um, and I'm sure it will be different in different locations, but how, um, how do you understand um, the level of carers to tenants in each property because I would understand someone that might you know autism is a large spectrum and you can have high functioning um, autistic adults but just need a little bit of support whereas you might have someone who um, might be non-verbal or um, needs extra help do you need to establish with every single local authority or care provider that ratio of carer to person how does that all work we not again. We have to understand it. And it's a, again, it's a really good point. We have to understand the individuals that we are housing, and we're still learning. We want to be, make a big point of that in case there's a care element of your audience they're going to pick up. Right? We are still learning about that piece, and it's again, we're housing people, right? We're, we want to give them homes, good quality homes. Yeah. So we again, there's. The commissioners that we talk to, the local authorities, they've got a referral pipeline. They've got profiles of these individuals. The drive during COVID was for self-contained, and that's still there. There's still a huge drive for, again, around about eight to ten self-contained units with a staff office. But each of those individuals will have a very different different care package. So obviously care providers will bid to win that care, and... Some of them have minimum number of hours, but typically we will see a staff rotation in our properties. Let's say it's a shared. It's probably two staff there throughout the throughout the day. We only offer waking care. I think that's very important to note because we do not want to fall into the residential care sector. So again, supported living, residential care, there are very grey and blurred lines sometimes. Um, so again, we work with the care companies to understand what their team need. We provide meeting rooms. Um, we'll provide them with a separate office if necessary, lockable cabinets. Got you've, got, you've got to think about medication. So again, case by case basis. Yeah. The key thing is 24-7 care in some format. 
Okay, so let's go back to that example of that four-bed house yeah. that you were referring to and how it was the local authority commissioner, then it was your, your care providers, then it's your housing association. You got that all tied up. It's going to be a four-bed. So that's for four people who need assisted care, yes. but the people who are providing that care don't actually live in the property. They are, right, so they have, they'll have a staff room, yeah. but they are essentially waking care. So they'll, yeah. be on, they'll just be on a rotor. That is, I think that is absolutely the, my light bulb moment because I kept thinking, hang on a minute, how do you know how many rooms you, you need for staff to sleep in if it's assist? Because assisted living to me is someone there all the time, but of course I'm assuming that they're living there. Okay, so the way- This is where there's a lot of the terminology and again, people slightly have a different definition of assisted living, supported living, specialised supported living, which is technically what we're doing with all the different components. But- Again, we, if we're looking at a more complex, and you, you're right to say that there's different, you know, criteria of the individuals that we look mm. that we look after. I mean, we've had a call this morning with a care partner that wants us to look at individual bungalows, two-on-one care, all anti-ligature, a very robust design. Wow. So that's obviously going to be a completely different project to a four-bed house share in, I don't know, uh, Wigan, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, again, it all goes down to going back to be demand led and be driven by the demand, not I've got a property. Does it work? Well, no, it's next to a Witherspoons. It's above <laughs> a fish and chips. But you joke, you, you yeah. laugh, but the amount of investors that have jumped on the bandwagon, oh, this is easy. I've got a block of six flats. I can charge extra rent, get a 20 year lease. This is really easy. Well, no, it's not because it's on a high street. It's completely unsuitable for vulnerable adults. Um, and you've consulted no one in it. You're just hoping to get an uplift on your rent and and get a, a quick buck. Yeah. That's the problem with a lot of the industry. Yeah. Okay. So I love this uh, demand led because that's how I initially got into socialising is finding yeah. out what the local authorities wanted and went and shopped for what they needed. Yeah. So you've got quite a nice secure exit, which yeah. you absolutely have um, wrapped up. So how do you then do your calculation? Because the analysis on the deals will be completely different. You know, we're used to our, you know, 20% discount, you know, for going for the listeners who are doing the resi stuff, you know, your 20, 25% discount, you add the value, you refinance, you pull your money out, you go again. Um, how are you running the numbers? You talked about yields and compressed yields. Yeah. Is it different yields for different areas or different types of care or different size of property? Yeah. Talk us how you work out the yield elements and volume. Yeah, it's a great, again, another another moving goalpost. But in <laughs> essence, the, the reason I spoke about the investment funds is sometimes an exit is to sell to some of the investment funds because they're buying secure index-linked income, right, which is – the goal for any pension fund manager out there. So there is a huge market. It has been done very well. It's also been done not so well with different parties, but they will pay a yield, um, which moves with the market um, okay. up until November. It was pretty stable. And then obviously we had the mini meltdown in November and then the markets responded and the yields have moved up. But we know that we've got, a yield exit of, let's say, X, right? Now, there's also some fees that, as the developer, we have to contribute to. But again, we've got a pretty much, when we're going into a deal, we understand what the value is on a, on a yield base, on a yield exit. So we do our calculations and we work backwards. 
You mentioned the 20%, 25% discount, which again in 2012, 2014, we could go and find it all day long, right? That's how we built a lot of our portfolios. A lot of the people listening, yourself, you started at a time where it was a buyer's market. Well, the last three years hasn't been a buyer's market. So we're not looking for the 20% discount upfront because the value add is the strength of the support from the local authority, the exempt rent, and the caveat is we are very pragmatic and we involve every stakeholder in the setting of that rent to make sure that it is sustainable. Again, the sector's had its problems with rents being very, very high. Yeah. Some housing associations have financially struggled to service those rents. So we're very mindful of the rent because that's a very sensitive topic in the sector. But yeah. again, we've got our core rent. We've got a number of users. And we've got a yield exit. That's how we calculate our GDV. Got it. So it's got pretty, it. pretty consistent. Now, as always... There's a few moving parts. Yep. Um, and likewise, on the if we want to hold and refinance, we've got a different yield in mind set by the valuers um, that will go out, look at the lease, look at the property, look at the income. So we've got a pretty fixed back end, which makes it easier to calculate. Yeah. The challenge is obviously lining everything up to get to that end point. Right. Again, we've, got, we've got consistency there. And there's definitely um, a market that will buy these as a turnkey uh, investment. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about the valuers who will give you the yield. Well, I would use my commercial valuers for that. Do you have, is there a specialist um, commercial surveyor that would look at these or would, you you know, any commercial? um, No, we would would instruct, and obviously it depends on the lender. If you're you're refinancing, they have to be on their panel, but there are, I'd say four or five pretty well-known commercial valuers that understand this market. Again, like everything, it's about presentation of the lease, schedule of works. We always provide the letter of support from the local authority um, just to to add to the story. If you like. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Now, give us a little example. So back to that four bed, because I'm, you know, yeah. I'm using the example because I, you know, brain works that way. If you were to rent out that four bed house or as a private rental, yeah, monthly basis, what what would you uh, get for that? So let's say four rooms or three rooms at 100, 105 pound a week. Okay. So what? would be the comparison doing this model here. £125 a week. Okay. So if you do that... I've deliberately chosen an area which is actually quite close. Yeah. Because sometimes the even the shared will be about £50, £60, £70 higher than the market rent. Wow. But the key difference is that's it. We have no council tax. I, I go for no's now. No council tax, no utilities... Yeah. No letting agent, um, door falls off, not my Basically. problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that is that. So you're 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 nudging the income up, and yes. I say nudging, but it's actually significant. Twenty pounds per yeah. room per oh, week. Yeah. That's insane, right? Yeah. And then you've lost your ten percent letting agent. You've lost your your moat apart from the insurance, but yes. annual gas safety checks and all that jazz. That's yes, there's well. But we, yeah, initially we hand it over fully compliant. Right. And the housing association will take care of those checks moving forward. Ah, oh, my God. I'm sure this is going to be music to a lot of people's ears. 
However, um, I will, I'm not underestimating the red tape that you must yeah. have to go through with this because having dealt with planning, local authorities, listed buildings, <laughs> all of that, holy moly, I can't, I, I mean, even just the public sector, they just operate differently on a different time scale. Yes. Um, what has been your greatest challenges with going in, apart from learning it all, but you know, the greatest challenges like with going into this? The, that yeah, it's again, so initially, again, we were, we were in the eye of that storm where every property was sold the day it was listed. Yeah. And the, the challenge was the workload that the local authorities have, social workers, et cetera, is, is just immense. Mm. You don't understand until you get some exposure to it how under underpaid, understaffed these departments are. So the challenge was actually securing good properties because by the time we presented a property that we thought met their criteria and it had gone round the, the, the necessary individuals, it was off the market. Oh, man. So we were, you know, we spent a lot of time chasing shadows. Outside of that, the biggest is just having your your plate simultaneously spinning. So as I said, you've got your local authority, care partner, housing association, potential exit lined up before you buy. Yeah. And then you've got all your property challenges. So yeah. your normal property challenges plus four slash five other stakeholders that you need to manage. Wowzers. It's, it, it's, I kind of, I can only compare it to, you know, when you're going into service accommodation, you're no longer really a property person. You're actually a hospitality person as well, right? Yes. So you've got marketing and booking.com and you did that. This is just on the public sector side, but actually providing safe, stable environments yes. for people who are vulnerable and need it. Yes. So that is so attractive. If there's anyone listening and getting very, very excited, what would be your advice for them to get going on this? It's maybe a long list. No, there's a few. I think, why are you doing it? I I would say find a tenant cohort that you can resonate with or find a group of people that maybe you want to start understanding and helping. uh, Mental health is always in the news for for obvious reasons. Um, We've got some care partners that deal exclusively with uh, mental health, which is amazingly rewarding. Um, Domestic violence victims is another one. So my recommendation is go and find a care partner charity that works in an area where you've got a genuine reason to be there. Okay. And then it's just relationships. You you need to build those relationships at a local authority level, at your care partner level, and also importantly with the, the housing associations. Okay. Wow. There are certain housing associations that can't work with local authorities. There are certain care partners that won't sign an SLA with other. You've got to have a plan B and C because one part of that jigsaw is likely to fall out yeah. at any time. Um, and you're still going through with the process. Wow. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. Let's imagine someone, one of our listeners um, is thinking, wow, Ben has just blown my mind here. I want to do this. Let's say they establish what the demand is with their local authority uh, commission and they find a care provider. They yes. start building relationships with that. They secure a property that is going to get 
used for this and then something happens. Let's say that care provider, could it go bust? I don't know. Could go bust or changes their mind or their, you know, uh, contracts that they're willing to sign changes because their lawyers have just given them another piece of advice that they've now listened to that we all know is nonsense. But anyway, let's say something happens and that care provider is no longer in the frame. What what options are open at that point? What would you do in that situation? Uh, drink. Yeah, drink. Obviously, get to where the strings. Yes, yeah. Um, or just make it downstairs. Every local authority has a framework of care providers that um, can deliver care within that local authority. So, again, it's having that plan B and C. Okay. And the same with the housing associations have plan B and C already lined up. Right. So basically, this is my preferred care provider. This is my preferred housing association. But if either one of them fall out of bed, I've got this one, I've got this one, I've got this one. Okay. Yes. But then also that might impact your exit. For example, (laughs) so it's very, it's so interlinked. So for example, great. Okay. That housing association doesn't work. I've got this one. Ah, but I'm selling to this investment fund and they're currently overexposed to that housing association and the number of properties they have. Yeah. Yes. So, again, your brain is uh, going 100 miles an hour in many, many different directions. Plus, plus you're managing the property challenges as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that just goes without saying, right? Because we yes. just do that anyway. Yeah. All right. So in terms of the lending side, let's imagine you're building these relationships. Public sector is all going well. Um, all the the while, I don't want to be speaking about the money side to make sure that that comes in at the right point. Um, I've got a resi broker. I've got a commercial broker. Are you now using a completely separate broker for this type of lending or are you going to your commercial guy? Typically commercial. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've found a broker uh, through another developer that understands this market fully. Great. Um, okay. And he gives us access to the small, but um, there are lenders that out there that will lend on this on this product. Yeah, well, th- I think that is the key that most property investors always miss out in the jigsaw yes. is a lending piece. And we know that your typical lenders see social housing and they're turned off immediately and just say, no, nah, yes. we're not having it. So your pool of lenders will be much smaller. They, they are. We're talking to a few. I mean, we've, we've, we've literally got FaceTime with some of the very large lenders that have, um, don't forget, this is it's got a big social impact. Um, yeah. But also, you know, our private investors really like this model. And because we can offer consistency of income, some of them are very interested in staying in for a lot longer. Um, yeah. So I think from a funding point of view, it's, it's easier. I'm just saying we're having a lot more conversations with private individuals because of the types of individuals we're helping. Yeah. And I would say that the lenders that are in the space are really committed and it's great. Yeah. If you dig, if you dig deep enough, it's why won't you lend? It was, it's PR, isn't it? When actually, in my humble opinion, I think this is a far more secure tenancy than mm. a HMO or a buy-to-let if it's done and set up in the right way. Totally. Totally. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we we all know that banks are complete idiots. They like change their mind. I love banks. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, come on. Anyway, a necessary evil. Solicitors, banks, surveyors, planning, and the list goes on and on. So so, so planning's an interesting one, Caroline. Planning's an interesting one. So during this, we discovered, again, I've been in property, what, 12 years, 13 years? I found a whole new classification that I never knew existed, which is C3B. Wow. So a nice little hack. And again, you know, we've been out the game for a bit. And we bought a property in the middle of an Article 4 area. Okay. And we were having to change it to a four-bed HMO, technically. Oh, and we'd, we'd forgotten. It's Article 4. They've bought it in. But it didn't apply because we we're only doing four adults, supported living, C3B. Don't wow. need change of use. Brilliant. Oh, I love- a nice little hack. <laughs> that is lovely. Um, and because we use a housing association, there's no requirement for a HMO license either. Oh, that's awesome. We still, we still obviously do it compliant, but again, all the bureaucracy, all the additional little costs are just not needed. Not the C3B was, a, was, was my light bulb. And we've got a lot of local authorities that want, especially for younger people, um, is a four to six. Again, really, we have to provide a lot of space, a lot of community, um, or a lot of communal areas. But again, it's great. So we're able to pick up probably properties in areas where, if we were doing a HMO, we wouldn't be able to operate. Yeah, yeah. I love this. I love this. So you, uh, you're talking mainly about England and Wales with all the terminology, yes. the CCB, that is definitely England, Wales. Wales, again, there's, it escapes my mind. You put me on the spot. They have um, a different care regulator. Got it. Um, the equivalent of the CQC in England. Okay. okay. And Scotland, again, is slightly different, but in fact, but the principles remain the same. Demand is huge from the local authority, care partners, and separate housing associations. Yeah, I mean, I, I, all around the UK, this is going to be massive in terms of demand. It's just finding that niche. I think you're right. I liked your angle on where would someone start? Well, why are you doing it? I know yeah. there's one angle that is very, very close to my heart, and I never, ever understood how I could help. I thought, oh, I'll just do charity work, I'll donate, I'll do this yeah. and that. But now if I could actually provide homes for these individuals, that I think would really make a it's, massive difference. It is massive and it is the the social and the, the people side of it is 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 brilliant where we, you know, you had all the social workers crying because they they love the condition of the property. The family obviously, you know, I never thought about this, but again, a lot of the people we're housing have been living at home. Yeah. So their families want input. And it's a really great result when you've worked hard with your care partners, the social workers, the families, and you've actually got people moving in. I'm not going to say homes for life because sometimes it's a pathway, but sometimes it is a home for life or at least the next five, ten years. And they're thriving, which is great because we don't realise how important that environment is yeah. for the individuals. It's huge. Yeah. It's incredible. So you've given us an example of a a little four bed, which I think is for most of our listeners will be manageable for them to get their heads around starting at that level. Um, I mean, how big can this go? Um, Can we build for this? So land, land that then gets planning for this exit. So there's a couple of things to bear in mind on this. 
if you trace the history of it, all the, of this sector, it goes back to it was called the Winterbourne scandal, which was you know the old Victorian institution, mm-hmm. care institution, where people were just locked up in these old Victorian houses on the hill. That's what led to this the sector really being pushed the forefront out of necessity. So we're not looking at creating another institution or hospital environment. Typically, I would say most local authorities are happy between 6 and 10, 6 and 12 self-contained units with staff and maybe meeting facilities. Got it. Um, ground floor access, mobility access is, again, the demands through the roof. So what we're trying to offer is options, um, maybe with wet rooms, but again, go and speak to the commissioners because we were looking at one scheme, 10 flats. Could we do four baths in you know, for four of the for four of the flats and six showers? Because we have so many people, and again, people with learning disabilities or, or autistic diagnosis, having a bath is an amazing option for them. It really helps. So learn again what the individuals will want. So CQC sometimes, and there's a statutory guideline at the moment about adults with learning disability and autism, mm-hmm. that six is the limit. Some local authorities, so we'll cap the number of six, which, as you know, as a developer, yeah. very difficult to get to stack up. So eight to 12 is typically the sweet spot. But again, go and sanity check that number with your local authority. Love it. Bungalows, if I had enough money, all I would do is build bungalows throughout the UK. Um, where we've got maybe individuals that need two-on-one or three-on-one care, um, gardens, etc. I mean, the demand goes on and on and on. So when you're building, um, have your exit lined up, yeah. fully understand the assistive technology that you need to be putting in. Um, I never realised how important temperature control is in, yeah. for a lot of these individuals. So, again, you, you need to get the spec of the local authority, some of them have minimum space standards. So Kent, for example, is 45 square metres for a one bed. You've then got your care partner specification and then you've got your housing association spec. Now, your housing association is your your client. You need to get them to give you PC, practical completion sign off. But you need to incorporate the other specs as well as the national standards. Ah, sounds delightful. Yeah, the park. <laughs> Ben, how are you still sane? Um, it's uh, I'm not, but uh, yeah, again, it's the sequencing, Caroline, is really important. Um, but again, why for us, it's we know the demand's not going away in our lifetime. We yeah. know there's a market for it. We know there's a great social um, impact made. And actually, once you have set it up, the benefits are ten years of relatively. Hands on. And call and tenant free, so which is which yeah. is nice. What an incredible strategy to stumble across, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Accidental. You're gonna have to reframe that and say, well, what I did was I liquidated my portfolio to go specifically into it was all part of a really well thought out plan, yeah. <laughs> well, all the best ideas come by accident, right? Yeah. Well, I know that our listeners will be absolutely blown away by some of this content. So thanks for sharing that. And we might get you back on again if our listeners demand to maybe talk through one of your projects from start to finish so that they can hear the intricacies of what goes into that. But it was brilliant catching up with you and I'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you. Great to see you. Thanks, Caroline.
Well, I'm sure you're, you'll agree that this strategy is not for the faint-hearted, but what a phenomenal strategy for being relatively hands-off with a commercial angle to it once it is set up and done. But boy, oh boy, the work that's needed to put it into practice. But I know that there'll be a number of our listeners who are desperate to get into this space. There's not a lot of competition. There is a huge demand. And we can just make a bit of a difference to people who desperately need it. And I know that this is definitely an area that's very close to my heart and an angle that I'd love to add to my business moving forward. And I look forward to learning more from Ben in the future. And I feel very privileged and grateful to call him a friend. If you want to learn anything, any more about what we talk about on this Property Life podcast or any of the strategies that our guests talk about, then please jump on over to our uh, Facebook community page. It's called the uh, Property Wealth System Community and it's a Facebook page. And you can also find us on Instagram, on TikTok. You can find me, Caroline Clayton, on LinkedIn and Instagram. And I look forward to bringing you some more great content again very, very soon.